0: A podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and have a blog at KeithRFoster.com where I talk horror and all sorts of stuff.
1: And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens.
0: Yeah, man. So we're sort of we're sort of getting this right. I think we've successfully alternated... The lead duties at least three weeks in a row now. So <laughs> this this might be an all-time high for us without screwing up. So, uh, But you know the deal. Uh, so it's time to review our weeks. And because I gave the intro, that means you go first, man. So what'd you do this week? What was your first thing?
1: Um, I got a few things up, but I think the first thing I want to talk about, since I usually lead with, with something specifically, I'll, I'll switch it up. Um, so I'm going to be starting the remastered edition of the second shift, the hardcover. Uh, so which will include Second Shift 1 through 11. And it'll have a couple of short stories that I've done uh, like involving Second Shift characters that are not necessarily in the Second Shift. So I have a short story from uh, it's uh, the Accidental Aliens Anthology 2019. It is our horror themed uh, issue that we did. And I have a short story uh, involving the kaiju that t- that appears in Second Shift number 7. So it's actually the origin story of that kaiju. I'm really proud of that story. It was really fun to do. And I did it in Zipatones. And so I'm actually going to have my colorist color that. And uh, so that'll be something new uh, for people to look forward to if they haven't read that. And uh, also another short story that I had another artist do. It's actually not even my art. And uh, it involves a character that appears in Second Shift, I want to say, number nine. Second Shift number nine is the first appearance of this character. And uh, so it's a short story involving him. So those will take place in in the book. So the thing that I'm going to be going through is the Second Shift first trade paperback, which contains issue one through five. What's
0: up? Okay, first of all, I can't see you. Um, Your camera is black to me.
1: Oh, so whoops, feel, there we go. Yeah. Hello.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay. These are brand new stories involving those characters that you're going to do as special features in the hardcover? Did I hear that right?
1: No, so... Uh, I know you needed to see my beautiful face to understand, so I get the disorientation. <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> um, so no, uh, so one story is in the 2019 accidental, accidental alien anthology, but it's going to be recolored, and I'll check. Oh, okay. I'll check out the because di- it was zipatone, so now it's going to be colored, so it'll be different in yeah. that sense and uh, new, okay. new in that sense. And then the short story that has not come out yet, that's actually going to be in another accidental aliens title which we just haven't gotten done yet. So that book, it's kind of like a Dark Horse Presents title that we're doing. We have two versions. We have one that is kind of like sci-fi, space, horror. It's kind of a catch-all title, which is Tales from the Mothership. And then Astounding Adventures is going to be our secondary title, which involves superheroes. So all superheroes from our accidental alien world. Everybody's different superheroes. If you have a short story Uh, and you're one of our creators, you can put a short story in that book. And so what these two books do, it actually uh, replaces our yearly anthology that we used to do. So Mm -hmm. uh, this way, people can work at their own pace. They can work at their own schedule. I don't have to act as the editor.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, That's kind of my role in The Accidental Aliens. I'm like the editor-in-chief, but uh, we just call me the alien-in-chief because it's fun. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I like doing the editor role less, and I like people to work at their own pace, but usually, if we have a, a yearly anthology, all these deadlines have to be hit. I have to get on people. Uh, it makes yeah. them feel a certain way about me, right? Because you're mess yeah. you're messing with people, and like, i you know I'm I try to stay as little involved with their process as much as possible. But at the same time, some like we're all like we're all artists in the studio for the more. Well, we're all creators. Let's say that, Um, you know, Travis Mm -hmm. is a writer. Terry's a writer. So but uh, we're artists. So artists can't necessarily deal with people uh, breathing down their neck about deadlines and stuff like that. Some can. Some can't. Some some don't act positively. We've lost a couple of people because of it. Um, And uh, which is okay with me, you know, Mm -hmm. cutting dead weight is always okay.
0: But De- deadlines are are a way of absolutely everything, pretty much, so yeah, if you're not comfortable working with those, I, I'm not sure what form of work you're going to be comfortable with
1: exactly exactly right. And that's why i I'm like, you know what, let's not do the yearly anthology anymore. Um, i I don't like having to breathe down people's necks because I'm an artist, I'm a creator. I want to do my own books, and I don't want to have to waste my time trying to get other people to do their work. That's not my job. My job is to be an yeah. artist and a creator. Um, so I, uh, me and Travis and uh, Tristan and Emily were kind of like the brain trust of the groups. Um, we kind of bounce ideas off of each other, me and Travis primarily, um, and uh, Tristan uh, a lot more lately, right before quarantine, because everyone kind of just did their own th- thing during the quarantine. Um, we bounced ideas off each other and we, ca- we came up with this system having these two titles. And so that way it's kind of like, we can tailor the audience. So if someone comes mm-hmm. up, the problem with anthologies is if you don't have a theme, um, it's hard to nail down a singular audience. So a lot of people do like theme stuff. Oh, this is a horror themed, etc. Uh, not everyone wants to work in a horror genre. lot, not of our, not all, not all of our artists have horror stories to tell. Yeah. So some of those artists will bow out of that story. So this way, it's like, hey, you you can do whatever story you want. We got two different titles. You can do whatever you want with. All of this to say. I have a story done for Astounding Adventures, and um, we're waiting on the third creator. Uh, We locked down three stories. Travis has his story done. I have my story done, and uh, we're waiting on this third artist, and that's it. It's like our stories have been – my story has been done for a year. I think Travis's story has been done for two years. So it's just kind of like, all right, we need you to do this, and so – Uh, as soon as that gets off the ground, then that story can come out. So we'll see what happens first, that book or uh, my hardcover. So this, that short story might be brand new and it might be a reprint from that book. So we'll, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: All right. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, that makes sense. I I just, it makes sense that you're saying because I've, I think I've backed, I've either backed them all or I have them all. A lot of them blur together for me. Right. You know what I mean? Like the, the stories you did. Right. so. Um, So anyway, okay. All right, cool. Yeah. So, um. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Um, So, And then what what I'm going to be tackling now is going through the trade paperback, which contains issue one through five, and finding the panels that I want to redraw and the pages that I want to redraw. Uh, For me, it is the first... Actually, I actually do like page one, but it's actually the next four pages. I think it's like two through five that I have issues with, because those were the first pages I drew um, when I was stopping wrestling and starting comic books again so you can uh, for me personally it's like i can tell those are really rough and so those need to be redone completely and then i'm going to go through and i'm going to see what pages and panels stick which i think a lot of them still do i still think they hold up but i'm going to go through i'm going to get post-it notes and i'm going to label everything that needs to be changed and then in my free time uh, quote unquote free time I'm going to redraw those pages and those panels and then so when it becomes time to release the hardcover uh, all of that work has been done and uh, you know it'll just keep flowing forward
0: yeah man all right, that's cool that's cool so you have some, have some work ahead of you but it's fun work because you're basically going to read through your whole shit and you're going to decide what things need a redraw and what things don't need a redraw
1: uh, one thing before I turn it over to you so I stopped at Trader Joe's.
0: Uh, I was just going to ask you, I saw that, I saw that can that you were <laughs> drinking from. So that was going to be my question right here, right now. Excellent.
1: So, yeah. so uh, great minds. So I stopped at Trader Joe's, me and my girlfriend needed some stuff for the house. And uh, I was like, hey, while I'm here, let me go look in the beer section. <laughs>
0: so, they sell singles, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: So uh, I saw they had a good amount of newly in products. And the one I was the most excited about, and that's the one I'm having today, is the Coronado Brewing Company Mango Farm Hazy IPA. The thing that got me number one was mango. I saw mango. I was like, oh, I like mango. Two, I love hazy IPA. And then reading the description, ailed brew with mango and lactose with mango flavoring added. So it had... There you go. Yeah. I was like, well... One, two, three. That's going in the cart. I'm taking that. Yeah, exactly. And I was so excited about it. I grabbed two of them. I was like, I right. I haven't been let down by lactose yet in a beer. Yeah. So uh, I, I made sure to grab two of those. How is it? It's excellent. First sip, I was okay. like, yeah. I, I made the smart move by grabbing two. Um, you're going to be down in a couple of weeks. If if I drink the other one by then, I'll, I'll buy a couple more. Um, and exactly. that, that's something we're going to get into uh, towards the middle of the podcast. So we'll, we'll talk about that uh, when, yeah. when when we get there.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I'm drinking. It's interesting because speaking of Trader Joe's, I guess I might need to go there soon because, um, you know, I've mentioned that I like subscribe to this beer place called Tavor and you buy beer. So I've had a pretty good amount of beer in my house for a very long time, but I wanted to try to commit to going through my damn beer so I could just drink drink through it. And I'm, I'm down to a low amount by my standards. I think I have like 12 cans, which is, again, insanely low because, uh, you know, I've just been working through it and not buying anymore. So I came across this one, which I think I got a couple months ago. I may have mentioned it before on the podcast. I've definitely drank it before. It's called Hubbard's Cave IPA. It's uh, so it is a it is a hazy and it is cashmere centennial and citra hops i know because it says so okay um there's no and again there's no way it's not a hazy because let the me the damn thing is like orange juice let
1: me see that uh let me see that label hold that label up this there. can there we go one two three bam cool and i'll post that up so people yes. that listen to this episode you will see it more than likely on tuesday because uh yeah. i suck at posting about the podcast right away. I, I don't do it on the Monday. I always do it the following day. So you'll see it Monday or yes. Tuesday whenever you're yeah, listening to this. Yeah.
0: Well, when, when I remember, I'm religious on Mondays, but then there's times where I just forget entirely. So, uh, so yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, okay, no, good, good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the market for trying out a few new beers. So we'll see. we'll see what presents itself. Okay, so my first and second things are really just one thing. But the one thing was so massive and all-encompassing that I, I need to break it up because it is the entire week. And uh, I hinted at this last week, and the timetable really accelerated. So this week is all three protectors all the time. It was nothing but three protectors. And, um, and so the first thing I'm really going to talk about is something that I think we hinted at last week on the podcast. You know, it's tough because the podcast just happens at this arbitrary point in time, and sometimes I'm good about remembering what happened right before it and right after it, and sometimes I'm not. But um, I think where we left off last week was that uh, I had talked to Lance a little bit about Three Protectors. We were going to do this treatment, which I've talked about, and uh, it was out to a reader or two. Well, I think what happened the next day was that Mike from 215 was saying, hey, I put it out to a few um, a few readers. You know, why don't you? Because or maybe I asked like, hey, should I put it out to a few readers, too? So he was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and do that. So that's what I did. Um, and I put it out to. It turns out that everyone who I put it out to as a reader has a connection to the Making Comics podcast, which is pretty interesting. Huh. Uh, one of them is you, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. Because I, I fired off. So uh, after I, after I, you know, got the okay, I guess, from Mike to do it. Why not? Um, I put it out to you and Gary Hodges, right? Because, Gary, you and I have a little chat going sometimes. And both of you guys were interested in reading it. And then after you read it, you uh, asked, hey, w- what do you think about Ed? And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I forgot Ed. So let's get Ed to do it, you know, writer writer of The Second Shift. Um, so it was really interesting because, you know, all each each of you came with comments that were, were good and that were completely... Um, Uh, What's the word? It's almost like they assembled well with the others, right? So I I made notes to myself here. You, Scott, you had very specific page building kind of formatting comments, such as the spacing mistakes that I made in lettering, whether a bit of lettering was centered in the balloon or not. Um, I believe you talked to me a bunch about uh, fonts, right? Because there was a bit of a font problem there. And, um, and that's what that, that's what I found really interesting. And again, you know, most of these comments were just I, I just took them right away, right? And uh, I mean, a very, very high percentage of those uh, that feedback made its way into the revision. And then um, Ed, Ed had very like tactile, specific writing comments, right? So wording changes, whether particular little sections of dialogue flow, um, the logic that flows from page to page or within a character's own brain, if it's making sense. And, and a lot of those things were very like, maybe you should reword this, maybe you should reword that. So again, really interesting, right? And very complimentary to you. And then Gary had some specific writing thoughts as well. Um, and, and the way Gary did it is a way that I'm familiar with in workshopping is in that he didn't actually prescribe in a lot of cases a rewrite. He simply said how he felt. Right. So he was like, I got confused on this page or I had a hard time getting into things on this page. Um, So, you know, that kind of stuff. However, you get the feedback is great. Sometimes people are prescriptive. Sometimes they're not. In either case, if they're prescriptive about the fix, you may not like that prescriptive fix. So you can then go back and say, "Okay, what are they really saying? You know, if they say something about this character or something very specific, maybe they're trying to apply the fix where They've successfully identified the problem, but unsuccessfully given me a fix that I like, right? In Gary's case, he, um, he gave just how he felt, and then he's leaving the fix up to me, which is pretty cool. And he also had a kind of big thought to bring it home at the end. I combined that with all the other thoughts I had, and uh, it just created a nice little package of feedback for me to go back and give a, a quick revision to the Three Protectors script and some of the Three Protectors art and direction. The value of feedback is so huge, you know we have hinted at this before. Every single person who read this story had a good had a good bit of feedback for me to take. You know Some people gave me huge chunks of it that ended up being right back in the story. Other people gave me a couple things that, that I incorporated and then I went from there. But everything is valuable, and more importantly, everybody had at least one unique thing to say for people out there that are making them, drawing them, writing them, scripting them, whatever it is. The feedback is invaluable. We've said that before. I've said that before. And I got to just live it over the last week. And uh, and I can only reiterate how important that is to get fresh eyes on stuff that you're doing. But let's get to you. Let's get to your second thing.
1: Okay. Uh, so the second thing I want to uh, tackle is actually a bit of a revisit of our topic last week. And it's something that after we got off the pod, and I think like a day went by, I was like, why didn't I say that? That was like a huge part of... Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's picture perfect for that topic is finding inspiration, uh, in other places that, that is not yeah. comic books. And so you, yeah. uh, I asked you about Kadoja, you asked me about second shift, but, mm-hmm. um, and second shift. So my answer was, uh, Jim Lee, X-Men number one, Rob Liefeld, X-Force number one, you know, Spider-Man number one, all of that shit that makes you go hey, I want to do this. I want to have my own creations and, and, and etc. So it's just based off of comics. So the other title I do is Wanderers of Melisanda. And that was completely not based off of comics at all, the inspiration for that book. So I just wanted to revisit that. Wanderers came about because of my relationship with my goddaughter. Um, I just loved my time with her so much as a child. Um, I used to pick her up from my sister. We used to go run out, have adventures. She would hang out at my house. She would play with the toys that I bought for her that I had there. Um, And then I discovered Avatar The Last Airbender. And I was like, man, this is an amazing show. I freaking love this show. And everything about it, the character development, the stories, the adventures that they went on. And uh, I I was a couple of issues into the second shift when I thought of the story. And I was like, man, this would be such a fun thing to do if I could create a story that was just me and Mars, like roaming a planet or, or, you know, something like that, getting into these adventures. And it would be such a departure from what I was doing in the second shift. So, you know, when I started second shift, I had taken basically a 10 year break to go be a pro wrestler. And so I was driving, drawing a lot of backgrounds, a lot of vehicles, a lot of buildings, and, like, that aspect of creating comics isn't necessarily fun. And especially once you're getting back into it, it's just like, man, this is the slog work. Like, all I want to do is, like, have the characters doing insane shit, having awesome fight scenes. And uh, I even like doing the quiet mom- moments with them heart-to-hearts in the house and stuff like that. I, I enjoy doing that stuff. But I-, I wanted to do something else, and I was, like, really craving another story. And, and that really uh, uh, lit a fire under my ass. And so I started doing character designs. I started, you know, trying to create a new world. And it was very, very exciting. You can find inspiration in just about anything. So, yeah, yeah just, you know, your your experience with your wife and your daughters, uh, you know, you being in a band, like all those different things, they add up to different Aspects of your personality, and it makes you makes you who you are, and those are things that you can tackle in a book that you're not necessarily yeah. doing with uh, one project. You might be able to do that with another.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, you're, it's it, so that's super interesting. I can definitely relate to it as you're saying, and um, and something that you know, boy, who knows when the hell this ever happens? But there was remember there was a period, and it may have been during this podcast, it may have not, where I actually took some time off uh, from from this novel again after i think the third draft maybe maybe the fourth i can't remember i did put it on the shelf for a little while while i waited for readers to come back that's what it was and uh and in the meantime i went ahead and started sketching out stuff for a second novel and to your point there's a character in the second novel that is actually based on a fusion of all three of my kids so at some point one year two years from now when i actually grind through my first novel and i'm ready to like consult agents on it and stuff, whenever it's ready. Um, I'm looking forward to that second novel, because there's a character that's going to be a fun way to put all my favorite memories kind of of my kids, even though the character is an adult, and I get to just take all those three kids' amazing traits and put them all into one person. And the name of the person is also a very clear um, homage to my kids, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Down the road. Down the road stuff, but I can totally get it. I can totally get it. Okay, so that, that brings us I think to kind of either my second thing or or part two of my first thing, however you want to say it. And um and yeah, Scott actually kind of hinted at it that once I got that feedback, basically um what, what I, I can't remember again, I can't remember what I mentioned last week, but uh Lance, the guy who's going to do the artistic treatment, basically gave me an end date after which he will not be able to work on this book. And um and as a result, my goal was Put all my shit aside, right? Like, I mean, I still wrote for an hour every day, but after that, it's all, like, work on three protectors, get three protectors, the final files done to Lance. And I even tried to buy time with Lance. I said, hey, I've got some, like, dialogue changes and edits like that. Like, are you okay with me working on those in parallel while you do the art? He was like, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, so I was like... All right. Okay, then. <laughs> so I guess I have to figure out how to, how to get this done. But um, but it just goes to show you, too, like, it really wasn't that much work. It's just I needed to sit down and and devote the time to it, you know? And, uh, and once I did that, it was fine. So, I, I, I mean, this took up a huge chunk of my last weekend, right? We're talking a grand total of... At least 15 hours of dedicated time over about two days just to get this stuff all grinded out. I made all the changes. I changed all, all of the dialogue and all the fixes that I wanted. And then I also changed a few of the graphics. You know, like, Scott, you made some point about the fonts. And some other people made a point about some other thing that involved graphics. And Lance had already mentioned that was something he wanted to work on. So he is actually going to work on a new font package for the book. Where not only does it work for this book, but it will also set up future versions of the book. You know, because Three Protectors is intended, like Scott has convinced me, of being three volumes. Well, Volume 2 is is just an, a, little, a little thought in Keith's eye right now. I have no idea what the hell's going to happen in Volume 2. I have no idea what artist is going to work on it. But Volume 1's going to come out, and then we're just going to figure shit out. And hopefully Volume 2 comes out a year after that, because I'll just have to make do. The, the cool thing is um, we'll have some of these assets and this font package and stuff that we can just use going forward in Three Protectors Volumes 2 and 3 whenever they come out in the future. And hopefully Volume 1 sees the light of day because I'm going to kickstart it and we're going to see what happens from there, right? And so I, I think it's fair to say that I plan on launching the Kickstarter. You know, we're two weeks closer to it by the time this airs, but I'm, I'm thinking we're going to air um, launch this bad boy in like early September, something like that. So we're getting real close now as it is. You know, the nice thing about doing Kickstarters is it makes the next Kickstarter seem less ambitious, which is really cool because you just ran this lap, you know? So the way that my schedule is going to work out is these next couple weeks are some logistic uh, things about Kadoja, getting the books, packing the books, shipping the books, and getting all the other stuff and packing those things. And then after that, You know take a couple weeks off and then we're just gonna roll right into three protectors so uh, I'm excited for that but yeah man there was there was a ton of work that I did a lot of it was the text editing and dialogue editing but there was a graphics edit that I did and we got this one really interesting piece of feedback that I took which was um, for the first six pages there There is um, a lot of narration that happens, and then there's one incident of a character actually speaking, but the rest is just narration and kind of getting you into the story and a bit of like a, a prologue it's not really a prologue, but it kind of sets up like that right like we're we're dropping you into this world um, and uh and so the the bit of feedback I got was that I thought was really interesting is right now all of the narration is happening in like text boxes but to really emphasize the fact that it is um, narration you should remove it from text boxes and actually move it to like the outside margins on each page. So basically what I did was I shrunk the art down a little bit on the page and then created a, you know, for for the the left pages, it would be on the left side. For the right pages, it would be on the right side. It's always on the outside. And then I dropped all of the narration and pulled it to the outside so it reads over it. So it feels like an old school voiceover, right? And, And I thought that that was a cool feel. Um, for For what I want, considering like the retro nature of what three protectors is going to be, at least one of the elements being a retro thing, so that required a little bit of work because I, I sort of I sort of put it into motion and then left the rest to Lance because I know that Lance is going to want to mess with it anyway. So I just gave him an idea and let him play with it and now it 's in his wheelhouse and he 's doing his magic with it. So, um, so yeah, we, we will see where this all goes, but I am happy to say that as of, I think Sunday night, maybe I sent off three protectors. It is, it is done. The only thing I have to think about is what the pages look like once they come back from Lance and what to do about the Kickstarter and how to time it. So I did all my work. Um, and that's a good thing because, like I've mentioned before, had Lance given me that extra time to work on the dialogue, I probably would have spent an infinite amount of time just tweaking it. And who knows at, at some point if those tweaks actually made the story better or if they just made the story different. Now it's out of my hands and it's done. And now I just get to wait for the pages to come back, man. It's a good thing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love getting the work done. I love going, hey, my my job is complete. There is nothing for me to do at this point except for wait for the pages to come back. So whether that be yeah. the coloring uh, or getting the book in hand, you know, getting the PDF from Tristan and going, hell, yeah, this thing is finished. Look at it. Looks awesome. Getting the book in hand, just feeling it, smelling it, uh, just seeing it in print. It's something something special. And it's always great to uh, get that work off of your plate and give it to someone else. Yes. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So no. And and considering the journey that three protectors has gone on a journey that started with Rory doing pages in 2015, I think, you know, there are technically extant copies of three protectors out there. I would I would rather burn them because um, we did a first version of it and we self released it for like a New York Comic Con one year. And then uh, we were like, OK, Mike. You know, here's the here's the copy of Three Protectors, we're ready to release it. And then Mike came back with a bunch of these, like, you realize there's like this enormous plot hole, right? It was like I remember calling Lance, I was like, Hey Lance, Mike Mike just gave us some feedback and like God damn it, he's right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like like we're fucked. We're fucked. So uh you still have copies of that? I'm sure I do somewhere. Bring me one. Yeah. I'll bring you one. Sweet. I'll bring you one for posterity. Yeah, yeah I love
1: artifacts. I love it.
0: Oh, God, yeah. This this is going to be one. And, yo, somebody out there, if you're listening and you know somebody who got that shit at, like, New York Comic Con in, like, 2015, you know, who knows, man? Because, yeah. yeah, that is the first draft. And when you get the final version, right, you'll see that a lot of panels are the same, but the story is wildly different. And we did all kinds of different shit on it. So, yeah, it's uh, like so, a, yeah, man.
1: Second Shift 11 and the, and the uh, ash can. You know, you can flip through and see what's different.
0: Yeah, this and this is going to be an incredibly different book. So <laughs> anyway, you had one final thing before we launched into kind of a, our second part of the podcast here.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, and it's quick and breezy, and I'll just bang it out super quick. This is stuff I tackle on a weekly basis. It's my commissions. Um, so I had my normal client, uh, Pro Wrestling Loot. I finished two different toy designs for him. Those are done. So pro wrestling is due, uh, pro wrestling loot is done for another month, I would say, maybe two, depending how how many more figures he's looking to do. Um, we're stockpiling at this point. I think I have six or something, six six wrestlers that I've drawn for him that have not been released yet. So, uh, um, good Lord. Yeah. Right. So I don't know how much more work I'm going to get from him for the rest of the year. He might be good for the rest of the year. Um uh, mm-hmm. but we'll just keep it rolling and, and, you know, uh, whatever, it's all good. So those are done and out of the way. And I've mentioned that I had, uh, I last week I mentioned that I had someone that wanted a commission done. And when I mentioned that I have a $50 deposit before I get started, um, I was ghosted. Well, yeah, he unghosted me. Uh, out of nowhere, I got the $50 deposit in my PayPal, and then he hit me up, and he said, hey, sorry about, sorry that took me so long, yada yada. Here's my ideas. And so we got rolling, and I banged it out in one day. So as of right now, that commission is done as well. He wants to do a little bit more, and um, but he says, for now, let's leave it here. I think he needs to uh, accumulate some more funds or whatever, and that's all good. So uh it's off the plate for me, so I don't have that thing hanging over me going, dude, you need to fucking finish this. So I yeah. don't have that anymore, which is nice. So it's just like, hey, mm-hmm. we're on a pause. I sent him uh, the front face. So it's actually a lucha mask that I designed for him. Um, and so it's the front of it, and he wants to do something on the sides, and we're going to tackle that later. And I'm going to give him a bunch of other colorways and uh, you know, go from there. But as of right now, that's off my plate. The one thing that is pending, and it is hanging... This is the thing. It's like a pendulum hanging over my head,
0: my neck. It's the sort of fucking Damocles, man. Right.
1: It's the... uh, It's a book cover that I need to do. He approved the layout. I've worked on it. It has three characters on it. One character I nailed down. I'm like, she looks great. I think this is good. I have to send it his way. But there's two other characters I'm just having a fucking problem with. And honestly... This should be super easy, and it should be done. And there's just something about it that is just messing with my mind, and it's just not done. But that is the thing that I have to get done before I can start working on the lettering for the Second Shift 10 or the remastering of the hardcover. So it's yeah. once that I get out, get that off my plate, I'll be good to go.
0: It's not the Sword of Damocles, actually. It's the snakes in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Have you seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Of course I have. Okay, good. Good. I well you never know. Like I, I mean, everybody does have that those one or two movies that they have not seen where when you say you haven't seen them people are like oh my god you haven't seen that film you know so right. uh, anyway so yes you know for for listeners not aware there's a hilarious scene where peewee a pet store is on fire right and and peewee herman is the only person that can save the pets so he, he basically runs in the pet store and then he runs by this tank of snakes and he's like yuck. and then he frees like the kitty cats right and then he runs back out he frees the kitty cats and he runs back in, he looks at the snakes he's like yuck. and then he goes in and frees like I don't know the the dogs or something right goes back in looks at the snakes again he just gets grossed out and then he finally sees fish he saves all the fish in bags and then he like goes back in the pet store and there's the snakes and he's like ugh and he looks around and there's no other fucking animals there so it just it's a quick cut to him (laughs) running out of the pet store (laughs) with these snakes in his hand going ah (laughs) <laughs> and then he just and then he just passes out, <laughs> right? So, so when when there's a bit of work where it just sits there and it hangs, and you do not want to get to it, it's the snakes and Pee Wee Herman. Man. That is you know the perfect I mean? like, analogy. Yeah,
1: that yeah. is the perfect perfect analogy for this. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, that was my last thing. So we the thing we're going to tackle today, the subject of the episode, Free Comic Book Day. This was touched upon last week, and uh, Keith was deciding, no, he's not going to do Free Comic Book Day, but in traditional Keith fashion, he instantly changed his mind and is now (laughs) going to be doing Free Comic Book Day with me.
0: I am. I'm the fucking flip-flop master. I am the flip-flop master. Yes, sir. You know, so... So, yes, I mean, in in fairness, it's not really about free comic book day, because the interesting thing about free comic book day is by the time this episode airs, it's over. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take you through what's basically, you know, to to us in terms of recording. This is two episodes before. Right. So we're going to record now and we're going to record next week. And then free comic book day is going to happen. And then we're going to record one more time, right? So, so uh, yeah, this will be a little bit granular of a process, but it's it's not so much about free comic book day as as it is about this is really you and I's first. Well, I mean, you may have done one. I know the aliens did one, but I don't know if you did one. This is my first thing even approaching a show since coronavirus. Same. And uh, I have not. And, I
1: did not do that event with the aliens. It was a uh, I double booked myself. That triple booked myself that weekend. So I bowed out of a couple of things, one of those things being that book uh, book uh, event, I can't remember what it was called exactly. And uh, yeah, so this will also be my first event.
0: Okay, so I mean, I think for that, what we decided we wanted to do is we wanted to just talk through kind of what our preparations were going to be for this and what, how we wanted to go about it, because maybe that'll help people, but more importantly, it'll help us to kind of shake off the cobwebs, because in a lot of ways, this is like a show. At SoCal Comics, free comic book day, it's uh, SoCal Comics is kind of set up in this large kind of strip plaza, and what they do for free comic book day is, on, because it's on a Saturday, they just get a bunch of tables and a bunch of tents and they let people show up at indie creators and and kind of like sell their shit
1: they take over the parking lot because it is actually in a business district so a lot of those businesses are closed on the weekend so they basically have free reign of their little parking lot and so they'll they'll set up a line of tables uh, across the front of their building and across the opposite side uh parking lot so The parking lot that is closest to the front of their building, that is also a line of tables and vendors uh, and a bunch of pop ups to protect us from the sun. And it it really is an event. I love doing it. I think the aliens have done it since 2017, maybe 2018. And uh, it's great every year. The crowd is huge. We do tons of business and I I love doing it so much.
0: It sounds like the aliens are going to get a table and I also get a table. Right. Because because uh, Caitlin said that, that they had a spot for me I, after we talked this morning or ch- uh, texted this morning, she contacted me. We're good to go. She made a couple of recommendations like bring your own table as a backup, bring your own tent or, or shade if you can, um, that kind of thing. Right. But um, let me start with this and then feel free to ask me anything you want to. What what is your angle for free comic book day going to be? You know, you have a couple years of history under your belt. So you could see this going one of two ways, right? You could see it going, this is going to be a normal show for me. I'm going to have my normal books at full price. Or you could see this as, this is free comic book day. People want shit for free. Maybe this is a good time for me to offload some inventory and put it on sale.
1: So here's, here's a, a secret. I always offer deals at every single thing that I do. But I tell them. This is the deal that I'm offering at this event, so it's slightly deceptive, but it's also the truth. The words that I use is, uh, "Oh, so the deal I have for this show is this, because it is mm-hmm. the deal that I'm offering for that show." But it's the deal that I yeah. offer at every show, um, yeah. and it will is include something free. Um, you know, is it like if they're buying prints or whatever? It's like, hey, you you know, buy buy three, get get a fourth one free, something like that. You know, um, and and that's something I'll work through. I always do a bundle pack so every time that I release a new book so the second shift now has 10 issues completed the 11th uh, issue number 10 is in the bag pretty much just it's getting it's not in the bag it's in the bag on the art sense but it's still being colored it still needs to be lettered so I have 10 issues to offer and a trade paperback so I usually offer a deal if you buy the trade paperback and issues 6 through 11 I'll include the two through five for free for this price whatever that price point is so i need to figure out that price point i'm also going to do a clearance bin so i have a ton of little mini prints that i just don't want to mess with anymore i'm I'm over it i've done so many uh, conventions where the mini prints they make a little bit of money but it doesn't justify how much room they take up at the table so i want to clearance all these prints out so I'm probably gonna have a $1 or $2 bin. It's just like, hey, everything in this bin right here is $1 to $2. So that way I get rid of some inventory that's basically dead stock that I don't wanna mess with anymore. Um, and everyone else feels like they're getting a really good deal.
0: Hmm. Let me ask you this specific question. Cause that, that's good stuff. That falls in line with what I'm gonna do. I mean, I think to, to, for me, you know, the Kadoja trade paperbacks are m- my bread and butter at this point. You know, um, and I, I'm going to bring some prints, obviously, and I have some cool prints done by artists over the years. I also have some really cool um, trading cards, like little little card size prints that I'm going to bring. Um, but then the, here's my question to you, right? I have stray issues here and there of Kadoja. Like, I, I have, I'm not going to say I have a lot. I mean, I have a small inventory, especially of Kadoja Volume 2, right? I have those issues in some kind of format. In some kind of quantity. Do I do a show special on those? Even though I know it's it's like, you know, here's the issue, right? If the trade paperback for Kadoja volume two is $15, and I offer issues at two for five, let's just say, well then that's a better deal than $15. right? You know what I mean? Like You can, you can technically get the story for cheaper than you can the trade paperback. Where are you on that? Where do you stand on that's that? That's a good point.
1: Um, Okay, so I have a I – I guess where I can get away with that a little bit is I don't have any more issue ones. So if they want the complete story, they have to get the trade paper back. Mm. Um, so I can see that being an issue. Here's, here's something – an alternative. Maybe save those issues for your Kickstarters. You can put those on your Kickstarters at a discounted rate. And say, hey, here's a special bundle pack that I'm doing for this Kickstarter. So you might be able to unload those at a faster rate on on the Kickstarters, and then not mm. screw the pooch by saying, hey, you can get the trade for five bucks as opposed to fifteen or, or whatever exactly. whatever the number you were going to do. Right? Exactly.
0: Even if it's ten or twelve, right? It, the point is you're undercutting yourself, and nobody wants to do that. Right. And, and so, for you indie creators out there. If you can hold, like, if you
1: are fast enough, if you are the artist, if you're fast enough to do a whole trade, it's almost beneficial to do the trades these days. Like, people love trade paperbacks. If I was quicker, I would just do trades, but I'm not. But also, I take that back. That's a lie. Let me flip, let me Keith flip flop on that right away. Because, yeah,
0: that dude, that's even faster than my flip flops. It is. Usually, I take like a week.
1: Um, I, I'm such a single issue collector that I would need the single issues. I love them, but price point wise and sales wise, you will move more trade paperbacks at shows than you will single issues. So if it's a a financial aspect, trade paperbacks are definitely the way to go. But if you're old school dude, like me and Keith here, you enjoy those single issues as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, this is something we've struggled with a lot at two, one, five right? Because when you're making a decision as a company to print up a book, you're making the same decisions that we've talked about on this podcast. And, um, you know, you don't want to get stuck with issues, right? And, and you know, from what I hear in the, in the previous iteration, we have a whole lot of issue sevens, you know, of, of a series. And it's like, nobody wants a goddamn issue seven, you know, so, um, so that creates a problem. So, I mean, I think that's the delicate balance, right? Trade paperback, trade paperbacks are the phrase we call evergreen, right? Like, trade paperbacks will always have value to you when you're selling at a show, when you're at a show, right? Volume one, volume two, volume three, volume 10, it doesn't matter. They're always gonna be there, and they're always they're always just gonna be pertinent, right? But when it comes to the single issues, those are hot now, but by the time a trade paperback comes around, people aren't gonna want them, mm-hmm. and the thing is, you know, based on my experience at shows, a good solid 85% of people out there prefer trades. I mean, I've had people come up to me at a show and say, oh my God, you have a couple new issues. Dude, I really want to buy these, but I only collect trades right now. Like I get, I get those kind of comments, enough, enough. You know, and and these are people that, you know, you know, after years and years of going to a show in the same city, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. When they walk up, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they like this book. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Right. So um, I think that's tricky. Right. Because trade paperbacks are what are going to sustain you. But you could definitely make the argument that single issues are the thing to get you a buzz, especially these days in the indie publishing world where everything is about getting a cool cover or a limited cover and hoping that the heat around your book is enough to propel it to something meaningful. Right. But again, I'm kind of crossing the streams a little bit here between just indie indie comic stuff versus indie publisher stuff. But, you know, they intersect somewhere. So anyway, I'm, I'm right there with you, dude.
1: Uh, the one thing that i did today to start prepping for this is uh, going through so i keep as an indie creator and i don't know if anyone else does this i keep a small box of my single issues and my trade paperbacks in my trunk so once in a while i'll go to someone's house and they'll go oh i saw you have a new issue out uh let me let me know next time and i'll i'll pick one up from you uh you know whenever you, you have them on you or whatever i'm like i have some in my trunk and they'll go, mm-hmm. do you really? And so they'll end up buying issues from me right then and there. Yeah. So that happened to me um, last weekend. And so I was like, oh, I need to restock this box. I, I sold a couple of issues to some friends, and uh, I need to replenish. So I was going through my inventory at home, and I discovered that I am almost out of two of my issues. And it is, it is random issue numbers. It is issue number seven, and it is issue, issue number eight. 7 is one that I've mentioned on this podcast that works mm-hmm. as an evergreen for me. I push that since I don't have issue 1. I'm like, "Hey, if you if you only want to buy issue one issue for me today to see what this book's about, to try it out, it's issue number 7." And so people will pick that up because it is it's the one with the kaiju. And so it's a complete one and done. You get in, you get out, you get to know the characters. Uh, boom. I didn't realize I'm almost out of number eight as well. So you have to do your inventory count before you do shows. That's just one of the things in the process of being a, uh, a comic attendee, or not attendee, I'm sorry, a, a worker, you know, working these conventions. You have to make sure that you are up to date on all of your issues. Unfortunately, I do not have an overabundance of those issues. I have like seven to six, six to seven issues each of those copies, but I also have some at SoCal comics. So I'll actually be able to replenish while I'm there if I need them. So if I'm able to sell some sets, then I can just go in the store, grab them off the spinner rack and go, okay, I have more to sell here. um, You know, but I do need to replenish. And that's something you need to think about. Um, If you're doing a lot of issues, you always want to make sure you, you are stocked up and you're ready to go.
0: I'm going to piggyback off that point and, and take that a little bit to its, what I think is a logical extreme, too. So, again, just to reset here, we're, we're talking about now you have a bunch of issues out there and you're, you want to keep them all around. But it's, it's a tough point. It's a tough thing to calibrate because, you know, in Scott and I's case, we both have single issues of, you know, I have single issues of 10 comics or at least most of 10 comics. Um, and it's about to be 14 comics, and then I'm gonna have three trades, right? Scott has 11 issues and one trade, but it's very soon to be two, and then sort of an omnibus that collects the first two anyway, right? So I will say that when you get to this point, if you sell out of one issue, what, what I found from my own experience is, if you sell out of one issue, I think it's a very smart idea to get a little bit of stock on it, right? And ideally, what what the perfect number of copies to get there is, however many copies you have of your next most scarce issue, right? So if you have only 30 copies of, let's say, issue three and you just sold out of issue four, well, then buy 30 more copies of issue four. That way you can build some complete sets for people. You're never going to have to worry about issue one. You probably got more of those laying around anyway. That's how this works. And even if so, you should probably reprint some issue ones just so people always can take a look at it. Once you sell out of two issues, though, I, I go out there. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, all right, well, I just have dead stock. I'll just try to move this for some cheap price and be done with it and just live with the trade. You know, because it's, it gets harder and harder with each issue that you sell out of to just keep that stuff going.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be running into that same problem very soon. So like Keith mentioned, I'm going to be having a second trade paperback, and that's when those those issues that are starting to wind down, that's when you're going to start to have that dead stock. Um, right now, I'm not at the point. Issue number 10 has not been released yet, but as soon as that does get released, I'm going to be running into this issue. Thankfully, my, my printer uh, can do very low print runs for me, and so it doesn't mess... With the dollar, my dollar, so much, where I can keep doing it, and like Keith said, uh, creating those bundles, creating those those sets for people. And unfortunately, uh, issues one or two through five, I have an overabundance of those. So it's just like it's going to be a while before I run out of those. And so for those single issues, issue collectors, it's like I'm more than happy to get rid of more of those. And and I actually did a. Uh, on free comic book day i did a box where hey these issues are a buck just to yeah. just to clear some stock out um but you know like i mentioned i don't have issue one so it's like hey if you want the complete story you got to buy the trade but, hey if yeah. you're you're cool starting at two and two through five that's cool cool with me also it's not a big deal to me yep
0: yep i'm, I'm right there with you so anyway again just something to think about as you get more and more product out there uh, whether you're there right now or whether you'll be there someday So did you have anything else you wanted to talk about about the show? I mean, I think we're there's basic setup stuff, you know, but I think we're pretty good. I just wanted to kind of. Vibe with you and see where you were. It sounds like we're in the same place, right? Yeah, um, make most stuff full price and maybe have a little bit of a discount section somewhere because it's free comic book day, and I think people are going to be in the mood for a bargain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, every comic store is different. So, you know, if you're a creator out there, if you're a local creator, a lot of comic shops are looking for local creators to attend their free comic book day. It draws a little more attention to them. It, it gets some publicity for that local artist. And uh, you know, it might pull some people into the shop that they normally don't get, so that's a win-win. So check with your local comic stores to see who's doing what. Um, also, uh, everyone's different. So for SoCal Comics, I know that they really want you to bring your own chair. They're not going to provide a chair for you. They do have a decent amount of tables, and they have some pop-ups. So luckily, um, there's so many aliens that we're getting two tables, uh, and we're we're locals there. So we're going to bring two or we're going to bring a backup table and a couple of pop-ups and we all have our chairs and then the last thing we're going to talk about here is you bringing down some of that beer because I always bring a cooler and we drink all day and it's a great time oh. man oh yeah yeah i just okay. I, I love free comic book day for this very reason well besides selling comics and seeing all the fans of course but i just love hanging out with my comic buddies and just shooting the shit You know, even when we're not selling any books, we get to sit there and hang out. What's yeah, there is no no downside to free comic book day. So bring some of those beers, some of those uh, ones you got hanging around that have been at your house a little too long. And yeah, and I got a couple of uh, thirsty aliens that will happily take those off your hands.
0: Dude, we're going to buy some because when I come down, I'm coming down the Friday before and I told you already, man, we're going to Harland. Oh, yeah. Like I'm we're going to Harland. And and that's that. So right. I'll always there's there's more uh, Japanese loggers at Harlan that need to be bought in, right? <laughs> so so that that'll happen. That'll happen. So yeah, man, it, it'll be a great time. I'm looking forward to it. And this is this is a great thing too. So so let's say that that there are some creators out there, and I think by by just odds, somebody out here is going to be in this spot. Let's say that you listen to this on the Monday that happens to come right after Free Comic Book Day, and you're like shit. You know, well, okay. so if you have a book that's ready to go, the good news is you only really have to wait about eight months until the real time that people like to have free comic book day, which is always the first Saturday in May, right? Coronavirus jacked it up and did all kinds of weird stuff and pushed it out to August this year. But it's May. It's always in the first uh, Saturday of May. But let's say you're a creator that is working on a comic book right now. Well, next May is a wonderful deadline for you. You know what I mean? And and again, those deadlines come up fast. Like, when we say next May for, for Free Comic Book Day, we're really sort of saying the comic should be done by December, you know, or January. And yeah. that date comes up pretty fast, right? So, again, if you're out there just cranking through a brand new book, or you have an idea, you have time to get that out there and check your local comic shop free comic book day is a great way to get a flavor if you've never done a show of exactly what a show is like it's Mm -hmm. smaller scale but your preparation will be roughly the same and it'll give you a good taste for convention life again for those people that are looking to just get started have their first book in the chamber whatever it's going to be
1: yeah that's great advice
0: so we gotta do some pet peeves bro don't we oh yeah yeah you had a
1: pet peeve let's hear it i have
0: two I have two. How did this happen? See, this is what Oh, this is, is great.
1: This is my favorite you, section.
0: You tell. I mean, but yes, I usually don't volunteer them. But um, I think we ended up. Yes, we ended up having two. And I ended up having two, and actually i was I was texting you so let me let me tell you how the, let me tell everybody how the first one started, because Scott knows I said um, again there 's no way i 'm going to name this, but i 'm looking up my text right now, and I said, "Dude, let me call out a weak Kickstarter to you <laughs> and I sent the photo of what the Kickstarter was, and my my comment was let's just say black and white hardcover for over $40, okay? And I had four exclamation points. People, Scott's talked about this before, okay? When you do a Kickstarter, I think it is fair that you know if you have a book that that in five years you're gonna sell for 15 or $16, and for a Kickstarter you wanna make that 20, or you wanna make that a little more, people are willing to do that for you, man. You know what I mean? Like the kind of people that back Kickstarters, they're super cool people. They like supporting the arts. They like knowing that they were part of helping a creator get a project to market. That's part of the magic of Kickstarter. You know, like a little bit of markup, while it's not necessarily some people's jams, is, is, is tolerable.
1: If you're selling it for 15, but you're doing it on uh, Kickstarter for 20, that is a very reasonable markup. Uh, that is acceptable. And I would not scoff at that. scoff at that anymore. Exactly. I think I would. So, uh, yeah. and then like you said, this one—I'm not going to say the exact number, but it's actually over forty-five dollars. It's over yes. forty-five dollars. So, yes. a black and white hardcover for over forty-five dollars on Kickstarter—that's not including the shipping. So, you're more than likely going to be paying fifty-five to sixty dollars for a hardcover of a black and white book. That—that that right. is unacceptable. Exactly.
0: And again, like the key operative phrase here for people that have not printed comics is black and white. Black and white is, I'm just going to give a ballpark here, about 60% of the cost of color to print, maybe even less, you know? So when you're printing something black and white, it is far more cost-effective, you know? Like, as luck would have it, Kadoja is black and white because I love black and white for Kadoja and I think it fits the mood, you know? But like, There, you know, Three Protectors is not black and white. That's going to be a color comic and we are going to treat it accordingly, you know, but black and white is is cheap to print and I understand it's a hardcover and all, but dude, for over $45 is is just a flat out insane price, you know, and um, look. If people want to pay it, they want to pay it. But that's never going to be a Kickstarter that I personally back or that I would ever ask of people, you know, because there's a whole lot of support the creator money in there, you know, and that's that's too much to me as a percentage.
1: And what I talked to Keith about that after he sent me that is like, dude, I'm going to do for my hardcover, which is going to be over 250 pages. I'm going to do a early bird special of twenty nine ninety nine. So thirty bucks will get you a two hundred. I'm gonna say two hundred sixty to two seventy-five hardcover for thirty bucks, and then the shipping color and in color. Yeah. That's the yeah. early bird. Guess what the regular is? Thirty-five dollars. It's going yeah. to be only five dollars more. So, and the reason why is because Invincible is one of the one of my most favorite comic books of all time. It is my favorite superhero comic of all time. I did not pay more than $29.99 for each one of those hardcovers. I believe they're $40 on the cover or something around that mark, but I never paid any more than that. And that's for my favorite comic book with amazing creators. So for me to ask someone to pay $60 with shipping for for that book is outrageous to me. Uh, I'm not going to do it. And so you're going to get my hardcover – if you're in the States for far, 45 bucks shipped, like it's going to yeah. be $10 shipping. Cause cause it honestly shipping a hardcover book does not cost more than $10 in the U S. So if you're getting charged more than that, you're getting charged too much. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what it is. So this guy yeah. is uh, unfortunately taking advantage of the system, but that happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, people back it and they, mm. it's, you know, caveat emptor, man. Um, but anyway, so so that was a thing. And then I didn't realize this was going to become a theme. But then it turns out that, uh, let me think here. Yeah, five hours later, I had a second pet peeve come up. And uh, I didn't expect it to come up. But again, without without calling out stuff, and this is very specific. And, and it may have a universal thing, or it may just be Kickstarter only, because it's also Kickstarter related. Um, we both backed a project. And... Scott, I guess, was, like, numb to it, but, but I wasn't. <laughs> Party people, if a Kickstarter backs or if it doesn't backs, please do not slut it up with all updates, okay? I counted today. This Kickstarter's been going on for eight days. Nine updates. Nine, okay? I, I get it. You you do the first, you generally do the first update, you know, like, it's common. if you're, If your Kickstarter doesn't fund immediately, I'm I'm more cool with updates where people are trying to kind of get the word out before the book funds. You know, so I am far more tolerant of an update when a project hasn't funded and they're giving updates on how their funding is coming because sometimes that happens. But there are other projects that fund in a very short period of time. And this is one of those projects. It funded in a very short period of time. And so basically the first update was we got funded. And since then, there have been updates on the creators doing interviews, every single time a stretch goal has been unlocked. Uh, um, some things that I would consider sort of marketing slash extraneous information like, hey, hey, calm down, okay? Like the Kickstarter's not even done yet. Just simmer down, that's all. And and I will say that that this is one of those consider the source things. You need to understand that when it comes to me, I am very minimalist in my updates you know what i mean like i think i'm on maybe my fourth or fifth update and the project funded months ago and i just did like whatever update that was saying the the pdfs at the printer and now i think i'll probably do more but in general i just can't see this getting up to maybe 10 or 11 updates total but even then a lot of these updates coming over the next couple weeks are going to be like hey the products here here's a cool product shot i'm excited you know but here where it's just like you know, almost trying to kind of cross market other stuff this soon. It, it just, it, it rubs me a bit odd.
1: I would say that's the stuff that would bother me unlocking kick or unlocking stretch goals. I'm okay with those updates. Um, but yeah, the extraneous stuff, it's like, Hey, I'm doing interviews. It's like, well, that's cool, bro. Like what does that have to do with everyone backing this book and, and all that? It's just like, not everyone wants those updates. So if you have those little things, just go ahead and build them up, you know what I mean? Like the next time you do, um, and that's usually what I tend to do. So if there's actually something to report, so if you do unlock the next stretch goal, make sure, add that on the bottom, say, hey, we unlocked this other stretch goal, this is the next one we're going for, but hey, while I got you here, I'm doing some interviews, this and that, and blah blah blah. So people yeah. can choose to read that or not read that. I'm I'm so numb to Kickstarter updates these days that I usually don't read them. Um, and yeah. I, on a few of them, I'll pop in just to see what they're saying, like real quick, um, in the email because you I get a mm-hmm. notification in my in my email and I'll see what they're talking about super quick. And if it's not the PDF and there's no art in it, then I'm just like, nah, I'm cool. I don't even want to read this. So, and I, and I think we've actually touched base on this a little bit in previous episodes. Um, you do want to keep these updates to a minimum. It's just, honestly, people got shit to do. They don't want to know that you checked your email this morning. Like that's not really important. Um, just, you know, keep it moving, wait for something important to come along and then you can update Then,
0: Yeah. And this would be my alternate way to present that. And Scott and I both did this as part of our surveys and, uh, and and I think this is a great thing to do. M- you know my 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 little quick line about the updates coming up. And by the way, I have the Kickstarter app and I also have notifications. So that shit breaks into my phone lock screen all the time. And to your point Scott, I have a tolerance for it, but my god, this was one that just like will you will you stop sending updates already? Like there's so much stuff going on. I was totally numb to it. You're like, we both backed this. Like, I'm sure you got all these. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think I
1: backed that one. And I checked. I'm like, oh, no,
0: I did. It's just. I needed to remind you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're like, no, 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 man. I didn't back that. I'm like, I thought you did, though. Uh, you're the yeah. one that sent it to me.
1: Um, exactly. exactly. Yeah. No. So I did have it. And I just I get so many updates in my email from so many different Kickstarters. That I am num- numb to them now. Like yeah. I didn't even look at the name. Like the what you sent me was part of the name. It wasn't f- the first part of the name. So I like I was like I don't even see this one. What's he talking about? Nah, he's a magic. Yeah. I'm like oh that one yeah I totally sent him that one. <laughs> um, but I, I like legit don't even read them anymore. I'm just so numb yeah. to it unless it's yeah. unless it's someone showing me some art or uh, needing a survey. It's just uh, white noise to me at this
0: point. Yeah. And my, my quick response in my brain was, hey, I didn't sign up for your email list yet. Yeah. right?" And I think that's that would be the logic here. In your survey, ask if you can sign people up for the email list. And then after that, it's all fair game, man. But don't treat this like an email list yet. And by the way, if this is your emailing list, I'm going to unsubscribe in like three days. That's just, that's just far too many updates and you need to be more judicial about what things you're putting in your updates be selective
1: compress this stuff send it all in one email one email with a lot of updates is way better than one email with you saying one thing it's just not necessary
0: people got shit to do. exactly 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 so in in speaking of shit to do if you have shit to do but you want to take a break on instagram then you can find me at keith underscore decibel that's where you can find all kinds of stuff um you know What I'm reading, uh, where I've been, um, any other things. And of course, for a Kadoja dedicated Instagram, I'm at at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word.
1: And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost.
0: Yeah. And then in terms of websites, uh, KeithRFoster.com is my blog site. And also I have the Kadoja site there. You can also type in same thing, Kadoja Kaiju. Dot com, all one word, and that'll kick you to the same place. There's a Kadoja page, there's a Kadoja store. And so, uh, y- you want some giant monsters? Meet HP Lovecraft, then, uh, then I've got a book for you.
1: Nice. And if you want my books, you can go to accidentalaliens.com. You can find The Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Milisonda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. And those humans. It's really me and Mars, uh, our avatars. So you can watch us uh, deal with those motherfuckers and see how that goes. And uh, if you want to send us an email, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. And shoot us over some stuff. Hey, whatever you want to say, shoot us some nice words. Uh, leave some comments. Ask us some questions. We love all of that stuff. And also, don't forget to leave us a star rating. We do appreciate those. Uh, you know, put the note there uh, with the star rating and uh, refer to a friend. Tell your grandma.
0: Grandmas love comics, dude, and they love what they love even more. Of the comics is comics process podcasts like this one.
1: That's right, and they love hearing about beer. They love cuss words. And uh, we have, have all of those things, so. Exactly, exactly.
0: All right, man, you know the deal. All right, man. Yay, hey, hey. hey.
1: I binge-watched the first season of Avatar. I had not heard of it. Oh, hold on. Oh, can you hear me? Oh, you're frozen now. Can you hear me Scott's now? Scott's reconnecting. Can you hear me now? Hello, hello?
0: And I'll check to see if my shit's recording. Hello, hello? It is still, in fact, recording. Can, you can't hear me? Maybe FaceTime actually sucks, huh? Maybe FaceTime is the problem. Can you hear me? Mele Kalikimaka is the thing to say on a bride. Hello? 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 Hold on, I can't hear you. That's the weird thing. I can't hear your you audio. You still can't you hear me? Hear my audio? Yeah. You can? Yeah. Did you hear me singing Mele Kalikimaka? Yes, I did. <laughs> Hold on. I was really getting into it, too. I was sort of pissed, but I still can't hear you. Hold on one second. Yeah, I mean, I see your mouth moving, but, like, uh, nothing's coming through. Can you hear me now? No. I just read your lips and you said... Well, you said something very raunchy involving your love for... Hello, hello? On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day, that's the island greeting that we send to you from a land where palm trees sway. I don't know the rest, but we'll have to ad-lib here. That's pretty good. So Scott, I see you blurry. Yeah, you can't. Do you hear want me to try but, uh, you back on like Zoom or something? Or or try you try you on FaceTime? Yeah, you're saying give you a minute. All right, that's fine.